As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Head of the Pack, your favorite co-hosts Matt Schneidman and Bill Huber here with you. It's 2.07 in the morning on Monday, I guess it is now. Packers 27, Bears 10. Packers needed this one. Trip to Tampa looming next week. Uh, 0-2 in the division, staring them down after a dismal loss to the Vikings in Week 1. I don't know about you, but this one went just about how I expected it to. You know, the defense wasn't great, but... They had the cliche of of Ben don't break. Um, they were, I mean, I should say the run defense wasn't great. The Bears barely passed the ball. Um, they had a big stand on, on fourth and goal from the one inch line. That, <coughs> sorry, my throat has been itching all night, so I apologize if I cough. Um, big stand on the one one inch line that kind of not sealed the game, but but set the Packers up for essentially the game winning field goal drive, and then. Bill, I want to start here. How good can Aaron Jones be if all week the Packers were basically telling everyone and their mother exactly what they were going to do on offense? They did it, and the Bears still couldn't stop them. Yeah, that was a hell of a performance, Matt. Um, so he had 170 total yards. Um, I do yards after contact and broken tackles all the time during the game. I had him breaking 12 tackles, 12, by a 208-pound running back. So, I mean, he was fantastic. Uh, both riders in LeFleur both said they're just scratching the surface of what they can do with Jones and Dylan as a tandem. We'll find out next week, right, though, Matt? I mean, the Bears, this is not the 1985 Bears. It's not the 2010 Bears. It's not the, what, the Bears won in 2018 to win the division? It's not the 2018 Bears. This defense is not very good. Roquan Smith is great. Um, Robert Quinn's great, but they're, they're really short. We'll find out against the Buccaneers how good this group really is. But you're right. Everybody in the world knew exactly seven days ago after LaFleur got the podium in Minneapolis, um, kicking himself, not giving the ball to Jones. Everybody knew where the ball was going, and they had no answers in the first quarter, no answers in the fourth quarter. And, you know, Jones had nine and a half yards a touch last week when he got only eight touches. And you'd think he kind of joked it, it was you who brought it up to him, to him in the locker room on Monday that he was in the top 10 all-time in yards per carry. 
and he said, you know what, I'm trying to get to that number one spot. If I keep averaging 9.8, I might, I might get there because that's what he averaged last week. Uh, he might. <laughs> I mean, he got more than double the amount of touches today, 18 touches today. Well, yesterday, I should say now since it's Monday morning. Um, and he averaged 9.4 yards a carry. Like he had, he had 18 touches, 170 total yards, 132 on the ground, 38 receiving. And the thing about Aaron Jones, as everyone knows, that makes him so hard to defend is the number of ways in which he can impact a game. Like he can line up adjacent to Rodgers in the backfield and take a toss around the edge. You know, he can come in motion and do one of those pop passes that he took for a touchdown. I watched Rodgers and, and Jones do the scramble drill in practice the other day um, against no defenders. And then on a third and 10 on the opening drive, Rodgers gets flushed out of the pocket. Jones comes out of the backfield and up the left sideline against a, a linebacker, Nicholas Morrow, and he did the same exact movement where he's facing Rodgers and then he turns upfield on the left sideline and Rodgers just lobs one over Nicholas Morrow, 15-yard catch c- to convert a third and 10. We already knew he, he's, you know, that good at, at catching and running, but his numbers have have steadily decreased the past couple of years since that 2019 season when he had almost 1600 total yards, 19 total touchdowns tied Christian McCaffrey for the league lead in that, in that category because of the emergence of AJ Dillon. But tonight, if anything was a reminder that Aaron Jones is still a bad man. And if the Packers ever consider cutting him for cap relief after this year, because they have to give Dillon a hefty second contract, they might want to think twice on that. Yeah, they do have some cap problems, though. I mean, <laughs> they're gonna have, they're gonna have to do a a major renegotiation on that. But you know, is and I think I think the good thing here is he only had eighteen touches, right? I think the fear of when you have a smaller ish kind of running back, not that Jones is small, but you're gonna get the guy killed in the long run by giving him a, too many carries. But eighteen touches, that's seems like a good number, doesn't it, Matt? Yeah, I mean. <clears throat> Two years ago, he averaged just below 18 touches a game. Last year, he averaged a little below 16. So I think 18's right in the sweet spot. Um, there are obviously going to be drives where he gets... And, and listen, th- this isn't, you know, two touches every drive. I, I think it's better, I say better, you know, more suited for the long run if he takes a drive off to, to give him a breather or give his body a rest because A.J. Dillon can can handle the same amount of touches per game. So, yeah, he's not going to get 18 touches every game. There will probably be more games this season where Rodgers and LaFleur say, man, we wish we, we would have gotten 33 the ball more. But um, I think 18 touches is right in that sweet spot. There will be games where he has in the 20s. There will be games where he has, you know, 11 or 12, that's just how it goes. But I think tonight was a good, you know, look at exactly where the Packers need to be with him. Because like you said, they don't want to run him into the ground. He's a guy who's dealt with some injuries the last couple years. But that's where having another 1A running back comes into play because there will be very little drop-off, if any, when Dylan comes in. And, And, you know... As we saw tonight, I haven't looked at the stat yet, but I wanted to see average depth of target for Rodgers. 
A lot of just small stuff. Six inches, Matt. <clears throat> a lot of small stuff. And guess what? It doesn't have to be an offense where Aaron Rodgers is bombing the ball down the field to Devontae Adams every play. Like, the other stuff works. I thought they the wide receivers blocked exceptionally well tonight. And that is a a hidden key to make this offense work, especially when you're riding your running backs uh, to the promised land like they did tonight. Yeah, it seems like a good time to talk about the passing game, too. Sammy Watkins, four targets. That's the most. I mean, this is like the anti-Devontae Adams <laughs> offense, Matt. And it works. What? Yeah, it does. So Watkins had four. Jones, Cobb, Watson, Dobbs, Lazard, Dylan with three. Tunyon, two. Tyler Davis, one, which I can't say that I actually remember half time. It was a, th- it, was a, it, was a throwaway, it was a throwaway, I might I think, yeah. So it is – what a transformation. <clears throat> now, I don't, I don't know if this is going to work in the long run. I mean, it worked tonight. Or last night. Um, we'll see if you when you go up against better defenses, if you can actually win a game with or anything like a go-to receiver. You know, Tom Brady's done it over the years with some of his lesser groups. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see. Maybe it's against Tampa. Maybe it's against Buffalo here in, what, five weeks when they're, that's a potential shootout. Can they win games with look, – look, Rodgers called Lazard the number one receiver. He's not number one receiver. Not not like the dictionary definition of it. But right. tonight it was was it Lafleur Rogers? I got I'm drawing a blank. They've got a whole bunch of passing plays, and they have you know a package for this guy and a package for that guy and a package for the next guy. It's not everything's meant for Devonta Adams. It's there's some plays that work best for Lazard, some plays that work best for Dobbs, and so on. So it's an interesting way. We're just not used to seeing it. It'll be interesting to see in the long run, Matt. How this holds up. Yeah, I think, and I asked uh, offensive coordinator Adam Stenovich about that a couple weeks ago, I think. You know, if there is kind of a silver lining in not have listen, no team is better without Devontae Adams, but there may be a silver lining in the unpredictability of an offense because LaFleur said, and and or Rogers said, and LaFleur confirmed that about eight, 80% of the Packers' passing plays were designed to go to Devontae. Sure, teams couldn't still couldn't stop it, but they at least knew what was going to happen. You know, in the Packers' passing game now, you don't know if it's going to Lazard, to Watkins, to Cobb. Well, on third down, you know it's going to Cobb, since it's I'm calling it third and Cobb now. Um, to Jones, to Dylan, to Tunyon, like... The Packers, I agree with you in saying Lazard isn't the dictionary definition of a number one receiver. Maybe he's the first player on the Packers' unofficial wide receiver depth chart. But there are. But Matt Lafleur said it. None of the wide receivers, and I would group in Jones, Dylan, and Tunyon as the as the entire pass catchers group. Nobody has really uh, separated themselves from the rest in terms of like a bona fide star pass catcher, and that can work. I mean, I don't see why it can't. Rodgers was asked tonight, um, is there a benefit to that? Like, can that work if you're really spreading it out like that? He, it, which hasn't happened here in the past, at least recently. He said, I think, yeah, I think we're going to have to. The days of one guy getting 15 and then next guy getting four or five are kind of over. We're going to have to find ways to get different guys the football in different spots. There's a lot of different plays for specific guys, like you said, uh, packages for a bunch of different guys. So, Listen, 
it, it could be a different guy on every night, and that's the the beauty of this offense. But it could also be their downfall because when they're in a pinch, they don't have a guy that they know they can go to on a quick out on fourth and one or to pick up a third and 10. They have, they have a bunch of guys who can do it, but there is nobody across the entire NFL who's more of a sure thing in those scenarios than Devontae Adams. So it'll be interesting to see this season how the Packers navigate that that dilemma. I don't even know if I'd call it a dilemma right now since it worked out tonight. Um, anything else you want to touch on? on uh, here's, here's one more thing I want to touch on on offense, and I'll let you go into this since it was your question. You asked Aaron Rodgers about Elton Jenkins in what maybe wasn't his best game on the field, and I thought he had an interesting response. It was really good. Um, I prefaced it by saying it wasn't his best game, and I and I meant that not in a cruel way. I mean, he gave two sacks in the first, what, 20 minutes probably? Um, he was kind of running around a bit as a run blocker, not blocking people at times, but, I mean, still better than Royce Newman, but there's you could tell that Rodgers is really proud of him playing, appreciative of him playing. Look, this is, as, as we talk now, it's two days shy of 10 months. That's a hell of a comeback. He was on PUP a month ago, basically. And for him to be out here in this game, um, well, look, we, we've seen what's gone on with, with, with Bakhtiari, right? I mean, there, there's no it, as much as people assume the ACL is a 10-month injury in your back, I think Green Bay knows awfully well that it's not. Um, and LaFleur said tonight, and this was LaFleur's opening comments tonight, they would not have won this game without Elton Jenkins, which is a hell of a statement considering Elton mm-hmm. Jenkins wasn't at his finest. But he'll get, obviously he'll get, he'll get a lot better as things go on. And I know Yash, I'm going to get up a sack too, but that's not a bad line, Matt. If you got nine minute left tackle and Jenkins, once he runs into format right tackle, that's... That's pretty good. And I still think Bakhtiari's – I still think he's going to come back and they're going to get better. I know we keep saying this every podcast, but boy, boy, oh, boy, just getting Jenkins out there, it just changes everything because Royce Newman is a terrible right tackle, right? He's not a bad right guard. <laughs> not great, but he's not bad either. <laughs> so, I mean, look, I mean, that's where, you're, that's where you lose, right, Matt? You lose, you lose on the edges. It's where Green Bay lost partially against Minnesota because they couldn't block – Hunter and Smith, you feel a lot better with Nyman and, and Jenkins in, in those kind of matchups, you know, and you'll be one next week against the Buccaneers. I, I'm still convinced that, you know, maybe the Packers would not have lost the last two playoff games that they lost if they had, you know, their tackles in. Certainly, I think, no they, would, I think they would have beaten the Buccaneers if they had Bakhtiari, and last year they didn't have Bakhtiari or Jenkins, and they had... Well, they should have put Josh Nyman out there, but they put Billy Turner yes. and Rick Wagner out there. So healthy tackles are very important. But yeah, LaFleur said um, it transcends his level of play, what he brings to us regarding Elton Jenkins. So listen, just having number 74 back out there, not only is he a very good offensive lineman, but it just makes the quarterback more at ease, makes everyone else more at ease knowing you have that security blanket. And sure, tonight wasn't his best night. Um, but like you said, it's a position that he hasn't played all that often. Um, it's his first game back from a major knee injury. So there's definitely going to be some of that. Can I trust my knee? You got to get used to moving on it again, but it's good to get those reps in to ease back in against a team like the bears with all due respect. 
um, before they played the Buccaneers. Now, the Packers could have a, a similar dilemma with Bakhtiari. I believe Ian Rappaport said on Pat McAfee's show this past week that uh, the Packers were targeting week three for Bakhtiari. He also said they were targeting week three for Jenkins. Then he obviously played tonight. So perhaps there's a uh, we might actually see David Bakhtiari this week. The Packers clearly thought he'd be ready in, within the first four games or else they would have kept him on pup. So right. maybe week three is the week. And are there more ideal opponents to come off a major knee injury against than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and that pass rush? Sure. But the Packers can't be picky with this. You know, he's going to have to play at some point or another. Yep. And uh, he's going to start at left tackle when he does. And, you know, we can go through those scenarios. I, I think it'll be Bakhtiari, Runyon, Myers, Newman, and, and Jenkins when it does happen with a pretty solid swing tackle and Yash Nyman coming off the bench. Yeah, here's the here's the quote from Rodgers about Jenkins. And I couldn't, my computer was glitching, so I couldn't find it earlier. The definition of success isn't always measured in stats. And for Elton, I thought tonight was an absolutely, no, is it just typo here? I thought tonight was an absolute success. I really do. He's been out for a long time, and he's battled in practice, and he's battled in his rehab, and he went out there and played in an NFL football game. That, to me, is a successful night. A lot of times we get caught up in a definition of success that's never really attainable. So we live in this feedback loop of negative self-talk and self-criticism that I don't think is good for a healthy ego or good for our own self-confidence. So that was a, a hell of a line by Rodgers who frankly didn't care they got sacked twice by Jenkins' man. All right, other side of the ball. Better. <laughs> you know, after that first drive where the Bears just marched down the field, the, the the Packers really put the clamps on the Bears. And listen, it's only year two. I've watched Justin Fields play three times now. The guy doesn't impress me. I mean, no. I was I was having this talk with Kevin Fishbane, who covers the Bears for us uh, on the drive back. He, he drove me back from the stadium to my apartment. And... Like, I don't think the guys in Chicago are are sold on him either. And he brought up a good point. What? Sure, the, the David Montgomery was running well, and so was Khalil Herbert, and Fields had some success on the ground. But even so, what does it say about Luke Getze? We know him well around here. What does it say about Luke Getze's faith in his quarterback that he only threw 11 times tonight? Like, but... My point is, it's not the most intimidating offense, but the Packers' defense did what they had to do. And after week one, it's not a sure thing that what you think will happen will happen, like covering one of the best wide receivers in the league, like Justin Jefferson. Packers didn't do well against the run tonight, but against the pass, they obviously did really well. Uh, the opportunities they were given. The Bears averaged six and 6.7 yards per carry. But like I said... And this has been the, the story with the Packers' defenses of years past. They're not good against the run, but they are opportunistic. Like, the Bears march down the whole field, and then the Packers get the stop on the one-yard line. And Matt LaFleur said it. Sure, they wouldn't have liked to give up some of the yardage, but they made plays when they needed to. And Matt LaFleur said it, and I agree with him. You give up 10 points in an NFL game, you don't complain about that. No, that's pretty good night's work. That you know, After that opening touchdown... You go, the drive log is amazing. Chicago's next five possessions. 
Three and out punt. Negative two net yards. Next drive. Three and out punt. Negative two net yards. Next drive. Three and out punt. Four yards. Three plays at halftime. They come out at halftime. Three plays. Seven yards. Punt. That is 13 plays. Ten yards. Zero first downs. Sounds good to me. Look, Justin Jefferson. I mean Jefferson. Justin Fields stinks. I mean, right? I mean, there is a one time he had St. Brown wide open deep against Stokes, and I swear he looked at him. He didn't throw him the ball. Um, by the same token, Darnell Mooney's a pretty damn good receiver. One catch minus four yards. That was from Rasul Douglas. Blew through a Cole came at and dropped him for a loss on receiver screen. So, um, again, he's not Justin Jefferson, but he's a pretty damn good player. Packers shut him down. Pass rush I thought was strong all night. The tackling was terrible against Montgomery and even Herbert as well. Sounds like a Joe Barry defense. It does. So, obviously Brady's a whole different animal, Matt. It'll be interesting to see who's their receivers next week because Godwin was out with a hamstring. Probably doesn't play against Green Bay. Maybe doesn't play. Who knows? Um, I did not see the Mike Evans fight. You did. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's suspended. I mean, it's the NFL, probably not. But maybe, right? I mean, he decked the shit out of Marshawn Lattimore. I think it was. They they've had a long history. But yeah, Mike Evans got ejected. I don't think he'll be suspended. But listen, old friend Scotty Miller. Um, Julio Jones is hurt, Matt. He's hurt. That's some, that's something. I mean, listen. That's the thing with the Buccaneers, and and we'll kind of use that to look ahead because we don't do a preview podcast. We just do these post game podcasts. The Buccaneers are banged up up front. Leonard Fournette's a good player, but Brady doesn't have Gronk. Brady doesn't have his full staple of wide receivers, regardless of whether Mike Evans plays or not, which I think he will again. Um, Buccaneers' defense is elite. They're they're studs. They've given up 13 points in two games this season, three to the Cowboys, and then 10 to the Saints uh, on Sunday in Week 2. So the Packers' offense will have their work cut out for them, but... This isn't the Buccaneers' offense of years past. You know, I think they scored 19 points in Week 1, then 20 in Week 2. This could be a rock fight. And do I think the Packers will win? Gun to my head, no. But I think it's a winnable game. And we were, me, you, and Rob Domovsky were talking tonight. Even if the Packers lose this game and start 1-2, and two, their next four games after that, Patriots at home, Giants in London. Well, Giants are 2-0. I should probably show them some more respect, but I'm not going to. Um, Jets at home. Jets had a nice comeback win today, too. Jesus, Patriots also won. You get what I'm saying. And then, so Patriots, Giants, Jets, Commanders. Those are four games the Packers should win. So even if they start 1-2, and two, they could very easily be 5-2. and two. So, listen, I know I'm setting expectations low here. I think if they win this game in Tampa, it would be a steal. I remember going down to Tampa a couple of years ago. Packers got their absolute doors blown off. They they were up 10 nothing. then I believe they lost 38-10 to 10 or something like that. But there are flaws in this Buccaneers team more so than in years past. And the Packers, if they play like they did on defense um, for stretches of tonight's game and tighten up some things against the run, maybe they sneak out of Tampa with a win. Who knows? Yeah, I'm going through the game logs. I remember trying to think of the Jones games against Tampa. 2020 regular season, 
10 carries, 15 yards. Yeah, that was bad. NFC Championship game, 6 for 27. Um, fumbled twice and got hurt. Um, so the Buccaneers have done a heck of a job on him. Obviously, it's different teams, right? But um, they're going to have to come up with some fresh ways to get Aaron Jones the ball um, against a defense that's really had his number. Yeah, so listen. The Packers did what they had to do tonight. I, th- I think lose this game in its panic mode. Yeah. They, they, they did what they had to do. Rodgers wasn't happy with how they played in the second half. Uh, they obviously only scored three points in the second half, but wins are never easy to come by in the NFL, and he knows that. And and he said he would really enjoy this win, um, and as he should. Listen, this is a different Packers team, and I think the early parts of this season are about finding different ways to win because we knew how they would win games the past couple years. Passing game, passing game, passing game. Yes, they had a running game. Yes, they had an opportunistic defense, but you had a passing attack that would that could override all that and win any game. But I, they might not have that this year. They're going to have to ride their defense some games. They're going to have to ride their running game. Some games it'll be a balanced passing attack. And there's always the cliche of what's this team's identity. They might not have a set identity this year, but if they can keep finding different ways to win, they'll be just fine. And I think... Uh, Still, Matt LaFleur kind of pushed back on this idea, but uh, still no consecutive regular season losses. They had lost three straight games, week 18 against the Lions, playoffs against the 49ers, week one against the Vikings, but still haven't lost two straight games in the same regular season. So I think there's something to be said about that, and it kind of restored the faith here in Green Bay that maybe it's not on paper as good of a team as the last couple of years, but I think this team can still be pretty good. That really is a remarkable stat, even though LaFleur did downplay it, and he's downplayed it every time it's been brought up. The three-game losing streak, you know, I guess I'm looking at it from the point of, of bouncing back. Like they, they had to bounce back from this game. That three-game losing streak, there was no bouncing back. Like week 18 was a meaningless game. You lost, who cares? You lose to the 49ers in the playoffs. Well, you're not bouncing back from that seven months later, right? It's a fresh start. So, to me, that's a hell of an achievement. And it says something about... All those stupid cliches about hitting the reset button and going 1-0. and As cliche as that stuff is, it works on those guys. And, of course, it helps to have the quarterback who's damn good and is going to prevent a lot of losing streaks. But um, losses sit a lot worse for the fans than the team. Not that the, fan, the team doesn't care, but um, these guys are pros. They get it. They, they move on. They've done a hell of a job with that. So um, kudos to the coach for pushing the right buttons, even if it's a cliche reset button. And one more thing I wanted to touch on before we get out of here. I feel we owe it to the Packers special teams, given how disastrous last year's Sunday night game against the Bears was at Lambeau Field. No catastrophes today. They had a couple nice tackles on on kickoff coverage. Um, Amari Rogers had a 20-yard punt return. Pat O'Donnell is pretty good um, so far. He can really boom the ball, has a couple nice placements, gets the ball off in time. I thought the punt protection, at least on the surface, at first glance, was much better than it was against the Vikings. Listen, tonight is the perfect example of what the Packers' special teams need to be. What that ha- If that happens every night, what happened tonight, 
They won't be a top 15 unit. They may not even be a top 20 unit. But if they can be 21, 22, 23, that makes a world of a difference over what they were last year, which was dead last in 32. Because last year's primetime home game against the Bears, you had uh, Jakeem Grant have that 97-yard punt return for a touchdown. You had an onside kick go out of bounds, I, I believe. You had Malik Taylor stepping out at the five-yard line on a kickoff. And there were a couple other things that went awry tonight. Ho-hum, Mason Crosby, 28 and 40-yard field goals. Extra points were great. Mari Rogers, nice return. Clean punts from O'Donnell. Clean protection. That's all they need. I'm, I'm, I was going to mention that too, Matt. Um, actually, I'm more bullish than you are. Okay. Let me hear it. Um, they, 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 they tackled the Bears inside the 25 on all but, well, I guess, two kickoffs. They, they had one late. So they consistently won the field position battle there. O'Donnell's punted well. You mentioned the punt protection. Um, I get it. Just don't screw things up, right, Matt? <laughs> Is, isn't that the goal? Yes. And you're right. And, they, and they're not screwing up anything. The, the rookie long snapper looks like he's pretty damn good as much as we – and I, maybe it wasn't we. Maybe it was just me. <laughs> thinking, what, what are these guys doing? you got a 100-year-old special teams coordinator and an 80-year-old punter. <laughs> <laughs> or kicker. That's disrespectful. Don't don't disrespect Rich Versace like that. I understand, but I'm just, the point is they have all these <clears throat> veteran guys at these positions, and they have a rookie long snapper who never long snapped in a, in a game situation for a punt since high school. But by God, he looks like he's okay. Yeah. And Donald Levitt's been really good. Um, Rudy Ford covers punts damn well. Um, the, the Bears coordinator is Richard Hightower. He was the coordinator of last year's 49ers special teams. So obviously we, we all know how that season ended. And like you mentioned, the pump protection was fine. So I think these guys are, they might be okay. Again, you're right. They're probably not going to be a top 10 unit without any great returns, like kickoff return stuff. But and I know Mario Rodgers did cough up the one punt, but all in all, a, a pretty good game. That's a good things su- are, summation. Things are trending up. Especially, especially after the preseason, right, Matt? Because people were thinking, oh, my yeah. God, they can't cover punts. They got 12 guys in the field. They got 10 guys in the field. It's the preseason. None of that mattered. Um, Gutekunst has brought in some special teams guys, and they've responded pretty well. That's a good summation for uh, how everyone should feel about the Packers after week two. They might be okay. So <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. Much, right? Uh, I will be in Tampa next Sunday, and I will Zoom with you from there. I'm looking forward to the weather down there. Just kidding. Um, But for Bill, I'm Matt. You know where to find us, SI, The Athletic, all week. Let's get this season rolling, one and one Uh, Spirits are looking up for Packer fans, at least if uh, my finger is correctly on the the pulse of Twitter. But uh, appreciate you guys listening as always, and we'll talk to you next week.